0: morning, College Park Church. Open your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. So we'll be walking through this passage together this morning. So this past Monday, my four-year-old daughter Maggie started preschool. Because of this, the last couple months have been kind of an emotional time for my wife and I. Uh, We've realized that our little girl is growing up and the first four years of her life have flown by. And so, preparing her for preschool um, has been kinda hard. And so, just before preschool started, I think it was the weekend before, um, I was sitting on the couch with her, watching some cartoons, and man, I just was struck with you know the quickness of life and um, the precious time I had with my little girl. And I couldn't help but tell her. So I leaned over, I gave her a hug, and I said, Maggie, I love you. I'm gonna miss you when you go to school. She immediately said, I can't see the TV. <laughs> and that just hit me, that hit me. So I collected myself, I, I collected myself and I thought, you know, well, She's paying attention to the cartoons. Maybe she didn't hear me, so I repeated myself. And I said, Maggie, did you hear me? I love you, and I'm going to miss you when you go to school. And this time, I could tell she got it. I could see the little wheels in her mind turning. Tears started to to well in her eyes, and she looked up at me, and with a tremble in her voice, she said, I'm going to miss Mommy. Mommy. Now, that did not go how I had hoped, <laughs> but I should have known, right? I'm, I'm not mommy. I'm daddy. I should have known. And that funny moment in my life is just a, a perfect little example of how life goes for us so often. Things don't go, often go how we think they're going to go, do they? Things don't often get better. They get worse. Things fall apart. This is actually scientific. The second law of thermodynamics tells us this. It's called the law of entropy. And it basically tells us that things tend to move from order to disorder. And we can see this with life. You buy a new house, you've eventually got to put a roof on it. Your nice car gets a door ding at the grocery store. Our bodies, as we get older, don't get healthier. They break down. Even daily, we get tired throughout the day and need rest rather than, you know, feeling better. We get wounded from insensitivity, misunderstanding, unfaithfulness, and deceit in past relationships and situations. And then those situations affect how we handle future relationships and situations. There's a reason that Little kids seem so naive and so trusting so often. And with all of these things, and I could mention many more, we face an uphill battle every day. And if you're here today and you're a Christian, you probably have some sort of understanding of why things are the way they are. Genesis 3 tells us how because of Adam's disobedience at the beginning of history, sin's curse has been placed on this earth. But with that understanding, the uphill battle still remains. Paul opens our text today with a simple yet profound statement. Let's look again at verse 16. He says, so we do not lose heart. And that's where I'm going to stop for just a little bit. Other translations hopefully say we do not faint or we do not give up. And this is a major emphasis for Paul throughout his writings. He says this, kind of phrase we do not give up in other books but this isn't even the first time he mentions it here in 2 Corinthians 4 he says the same thing in verse 1 see for every single one of us the temptation to lose heart is a normal occurrence can I just say that we need to pray for each other that we need to encourage each other that we need to love on each other because everyone, everyone is tempted to lose heart, to give up. This includes Paul here in this passage. He states earlier in the chapter that he, or in the, in, in the book, that he had plans to visit the Corinthian church, but changed his plans because he didn't want to cause them grief like he had during an earlier visit. Paul, too, struggles with the temptation to give up, that we all do. He's not speaking from some sort of pedestal, but from a situation of someone who's been there. Think for, think for a moment this morning of those in your life. Think of the person who is the one that you think has it all together. Or maybe that person that you run to in hard times because they seem like they're the strongest person you know and always have the answers. Or maybe there's that person in your life that seems like they're always happy and always upbeat. Even those in your life are tempted to give up. Everyone is tempted to lose heart. But Paul's statement in these verses, um, in verse 16 of so we do not lose heart, is one of bolstering. His desire here is for the Corinthian church, and thus us as well, is to have hope in our suffering. And to not give up. See, Paul is not writing from a place of failure in his life, but from a place of hope. And so these verses this morning we're looking at show us that when you're tempted to give up, you need reminded of two things. When you're tempted to give up, you need reminded of two things. First, God is working, God is working. And second, that glory is coming. Glory is coming. So let's first look at this idea in these verses that God is working. Let's read verse 16 together. He says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Do you resonate with that term, wasting away? This is often the norm in the midst of life. It was for Paul... Listen to how he described his life. He said that he was hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, and given over to death In, in chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. He says he experienced great pressure beyond the ability to endure and despaired life itself. In chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. In other places in his writings, he says that he experienced imprisonment, floggings, exposure to death, 40 lashes minus one. He was beaten with rods, pelted with stones. He experienced shipwreck, constant traveling, dangers from rivers, bandits, his fellow Jews as well as Gentiles. Dangers in the city and in the country, at sea, from false believers, He experienced hard labor, sleeplessness, hunger, thirst, cold, and lack of clothing. And finally, he faced the pressure that comes with concern for other believers and for all the churches. And in these afflictions, Paul's description of this experience is that his outer man was wasting away. And we feel this wasting away as well. We struggle physically. We get achy joints. We lose our metabolism. We hate that little pinch of fat on our stomach. Um, We suffer from debilitating and painful diseases. We struggle emotionally. We get depressed, lose trust, and struggle with sadness, shame, and guilt. And we struggle mentally. Think about this. How easy is it to forget someone's birthday? And how hard do you have to study for an exam? And then with disease and age, we lose our memory, our personality, and our emotion. So let me ask you, this week, what have you faced that feels like wasting away? I have a family member who, a little over a year ago, was diagnosed with dementia, And it started with just some small things like forgetting to shave or forgetting to take out the trash. And it got worse over time. And then a little over a month ago, my family member had a major stroke. And now they need 24-7 care. What began as small things has turned into big things. A loss of personality lack of emotion, and at times not even recognizing their own family. See, things like this can cause us to want to give up. And it can seem like God isn't working. And this wasting away takes on an added level for the follower of Christ. Paul tells us in this very chapter in verses 1 and 2, that having the ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. Now, he makes these bold statements because these are the temptations for Christians. These were the temptations for Paul himself. See, those who share the gospel and die to self for the sake of others get beaten down. And much of Paul's suffering that he mentions comes because of the gospel. The world hates the gospel and attacks because of it. And the people that we share the gospel with often reject it. And so it can seem like the world is winning. John Calvin states that experience suggests that victory and success go to the boldest and most aggressive while the unassuming dare not open their mouths to protest or complain, even though others may rob and fleece them of all they have. We can feel like we've been defeated and need to change the gospel to win or get the upper hand, or we can become so discouraged that we think we should just stop talking. The world appears strong, Christ appears weak. Doesn't it feel like that sometimes? That God is absent? That the world is winning? That everything is falling apart? Are you, a dis, are you disheartened as a Christian this morning? Maybe you're thinking of this, this current situation in Afghanistan and thinking that there is no way that God is working right now. Maybe you've been ridiculed at work or by a family member for your faith. Maybe you have that one person that you love so much and want to trust in Jesus so much and you've shared the gospel with them again and they have rejected the gospel again. Whether with the battles of your faith or the battles in the rest of life, it can be tempting to lose heart. You may even be saying to yourself right now, Mark, you said this point was about how God is working. And I walked in here struggling to see how he is, and all this talk about wasting away is just proving to me that he's not. Well, friends, Paul is speaking to this hopeless feeling when he says that our outer self is wasting away. But Paul immediately turns to how God is working, Let's look again at verse 16. He says, Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. God desires to bolster our faith when everything is falling apart on the outside by telling us that he is working on the inside. When Paul speaks of the outer self and the inner self, he is speaking about something theologically rich and profoundly encouraging. You see, there is a current dichotomy within us of both sinfulness and righteousness, suffering and life, death and resurrection. And Paul uses this kind of dichotomy in many of his letters. In Romans 8, Paul talks about living in the flesh versus living in the spirit. In Romans, Ephesians, and Colossians, he uses the language of old man and new man. In Romans 6, 5-8 through 8 specifically, Paul states it this way. He says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall cer- certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin, Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Did you hear the language there? He compares old and new to death and resurrection. Our old self has been crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, is what he says. And Paul is using this dichotomy of old and new in a person to show that Christ has begun his work of redeeming and destroying sin, but has not yet completed it. Thus we have a real sense that we are sinful and need to put to death the sin that we continually show. But there is also the reality that we have been made new in Christ through his resurrection and that the Spirit has rid us of sin and conforms us to Christ. And so Paul is using this old self, new self, death and resurrection theme to discuss our sinfulness in Romans. But here in 2 Corinthians 4, he's using similar language to express or help us understand our suffering. And this is how God gives us hope that he is working. Look with me at 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12, just a few verses For we who live are always being, being given over to, de- to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. One theologian gives this explanation, says that, Paul ratchets up the sense of earthiness and fragility and transience of the jar of clay in which the life of Jesus shines forth. Our bodies, our outer man, are weak and frail. In verse 10, death and resurrection simply coexist in the believer. In verse 11, it is clarified that death directly leads to resurrection such that there is no resurrection life without first being given over to death. See, friends, we have a coexisting death and life within us right now. When Christ came, he didn't make everything perfect. And we know that that's not going to happen until he comes again. But we have hope now because he also didn't wait to give us life in the resurrection until later. Even though we experience pain and toil and heartache, if we are in Christ, we also have life in Christ's resurrection. And our pain and toil proclaim that life we have only comes in Christ. Though we feel death, God is working on us through his resurrection right now. Dane Ortland says it this way. He says, unbelievers are the living dead. Unbelievers are the living dead. They feel themselves to be living, but most deeply they are dying. Believers, on the other hand, are the dying living. They feel themselves to be dying, but most deeply they possess resurrection life. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, The life you feel right now is the best that it's going to get. And the death and decay and pain and turmoil that you experience, it's just a small picture of eternity separated from Jesus. You have no inner man being renewed, no working of the resurrection in your life. And can I compel you as the scriptures do? Turn to Jesus Repent of your sin and gain true life. Find me or one of our other pastors or elders or maybe the friend that invited you after the service. We'd love to talk with you more about what it means to have life in Christ. And if you're here today and you're a believer, if you're a Christian, let me encourage you. The death you feel now is the worst that it's going to get. You have hope when you feel like giving up. You may feel the pain and struggle and brokenness and death right now, but you have the Spirit who is continually giving you life. Remember that the decay you feel is not most deeply who you are. Most deeply, you are alive in Christ. He didn't save life for you for some future eternity. He is working now and giving it to you now and he is renewing you day by day. And so when we feel like giving up, we can have hope that God is working. And though Paul gives us that hope that God is working now, he also gives us the hope that glory is coming. That glory is coming. Let's look at verses 17 and 18. They say, for this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Things are not always as they seem, are they? As a dad of two, it's, Now acceptable for me to tell the occasional dad joke. And my favorite dad jokes are the ones that the recipient doesn't see coming. So for instance, a couple weeks ago I was um, with some of my coworkers um, at the cura getting a cup of coffee. And one of them asked if there was a smell in the room. Now I took this as a perfect opportunity to just insert one of these little dad jokes and so I said, now that you say that, it does kind of smell like updog in here. One of my other coworkers took this hook, line, and sinker. And she said, what is Up Dog? To which I replied, not much, what's up with you? I know, I know, it's bad, I know, I know. I still like those dad jokes, I still do. The point is, (laughs) the point is, is that what seemed like reality was not reality. What seemed like a normal conversation was in reality a bad joke. And Paul, here in these verses, is expounding to show us that what seems so real in our affliction is not ultimate reality for us. And so what we see here is that Paul gives us a two-part comparison between our affliction now and the glory that we will share with Christ one day. He begins by stating that affliction is light and glory that we will experience is heavy. Does this mean that what we experience today is nothing? No, not at all. But it's a comparison meant to encourage us. What we experience in this life that is so hard is minuscule compared to the weight of the glory that we will receive one day. It's kind of like comparing the weight of a car to the weight of all the matter in the entire universe. If I went out into the parking lot right now and someone drove over my foot with a car, that would hurt. (laughs) Uh, I would probably have a broken foot and I would need to go to the hospital. But when you compare the weight of that car to the weight of all the matter in the entire universe, it's practically nothing. You wouldn't even be able to tell that car existed. And that's the encouragement that Paul is trying to give us here. That as heavy as the pain and the struggle that we feel in life right now is, the joy that we will experience in Christ, the glory that we will receive one day is astronomical compared to that. We won't even remember it. And so he tells us that affliction is light, but glory is heavy. He also says that affliction is momentary and glory is eternal. He moves from a um, weight example to a length of time example. See, the hardship that we face today, the decay that we see and experience, is short compared to the glory that we will receive. We're talking here about, at best, 100 years of life, compared to all of eternity. I want you to imagine for a moment, if I brought my four-year-old daughter, Maggie, up here on stage, and I said, Maggie, I need you to stand still for one whole minute. Now, that would be really hard for my four-year-old daughter. But if I told her, okay, you stand here for one whole minute, And then we're going to go home, we're going to pack our bags, and we are going to go to Kings Island for an entire week. And we are going to ride every ride you want to, no lines, just ride them over and over again. You're going to eat whatever you want, drink whatever you want. It's going to be unlimited fun for an entire week. That would make the struggle of standing here for a whole minute much easier for her. This is the kind of encouragement Paul is wanting to give us as well. Listen to what we have to look forward to in eternity. Revelation 21, verses 3 through 4 say, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. See, the point with this example is that we will spend eternity without all suffering and affliction, and we will spend all of eternity in the presence of Jesus. The difficulty and decay we face now will be no more, and the appearance that God is weak or distant will be gone. We will experience unending joy in the presence of Jesus forever and ever and ever and ever. All we have to do is look to Jesus and his word now for just a little while. Remember that he's sustaining us for a short while during this life. What a hope that glory is coming. But that isn't where Paul ends. Paul ends our text with a reminder of why it is so important to remember that God is working and glory is coming. Let's look again at verse 18. It says, As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. See, the wasting away that we experience is so dangerous because it is what we see. It's what is right in front of our faces. The working that God is doing isn't visible. And the glory that is coming seems so far out of sight. Thus, if we focus on the things we see, we can be tempted to lose heart. So Paul shows us that we have to fill our minds with the unseen to combat what we do see. In the uphill battle of life, our focus can, come, can become extremely nearsighted, like we're in a fog and can only see an inch in front of our faces. Friends, this is why we need these verses, and this is why we need the Word of God. It's the word of God that reminds us of the unseen truth in the midst of visible, hopeless circumstances. I think again of my family member who is a believer but is losing his memory, his understanding, his personality. When we focus on what we can see, he doesn't have much hope. He's not going to get much better. Things are the way they are. And in ultimate reality, he, like all of us, is going to die one day. It's not much hope. But as a child of God, God is working in him now and an amazing eternal glory is in his future. What he experiences now is light and momentary compared to the eternal glory he will and has already begun experiencing in Christ. So when we are reminded of what we can't see by going to God's word, we can have hope. A woman who, like my, my family member, is experiencing drastic memory loss gave an ex- amazing example of the hope that we can have when we think this way. She said, I am losing myself but God will not lose me. God will remember me, and he will bring me into, his, into conformity with his precious son. My hope is fixed, and though I may forget who I am, God will never forget me. I am his child. So friends, this week, when you're tempted to give up, when those things in life seem so overwhelming, remember that God is working and glory is coming. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word. Lord, we are so overwhelmed sometimes with the troubles that come in life. Lord, we thank you this morning that you are working in us. Lord, that your resurrection has already begun and that as we grow weary, you are renewing us day by day. Lord, we thank you that we have eternal hope. Lord, that this life is not all that we have. Lord, that we will spend eternity with you in endless joy. So, Lord, we pray that you would hold us fast, strengthen us, continue to renew us, and be with us this week. In your name I pray. Amen.